to Librarians Allowed, an independent podcast from the Academic and Special Libraries section of the Library Association of Ireland. I'm your host, Laura Rooney-Ferris, and Happy New Year. This is our first episode of 2017, so we're really kicking it off in style. Um, My guest for this episode is Dr Sandra Collins, who's the director of the National Library, and it was an absolute pleasure to talk to her. Um, So we talk about her path to her current role, Um, about the responsibilities of managing the National Library and loads of other things in between. So uh, open up your ear holes and listen up good. So thanks, Sarah. That's very um, uh, delighted to be asked. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I have a non-traditional library background, uh, shall I say. Um, I started as the director of the National Library in 2015, and um, well, I suppose I can either go backwards or go forwards. Maybe I'll start at the start and go mm-hmm. forwards. That's a good place. Yeah, yeah. So um, I... I, I suppose you look back and you wonder what is it that draws you to a certain area when you're grown up and, and look at yourself as a child. Um, uh, I loved reading with a passion, was always studying and reading and head in a book. I was a total swash and a, a, a nerd and all the, the, the words. It <laughs> wasn't happy to be called at the time, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah, it retro. Um, uh, but I loved science as well. So I studied, I went to um, maths and science I studied in UCD and I did a um, I did my PhD in nonlinear fluid dynamics so it's a form of um, uh, mathematical physics and I absolutely loved it so I was full sure that's what I wanted to do and I wanted to uh, to work in a university and be a mathematician and so on um, and uh, I started working in Dublin City University in the maths department but I love the teaching and I loved engaging with the students. I love the kind of, I mean, I think universities are a very special place for um, the kind of the buzz of young people all around you. Oh, so many ideas in one, one small location. Um, but after, after a few years, I felt kind of isolated. Um, so I think over time I really love working with people, look, working in teams, you know, having people around me. And the scholarly life, at least at that time, was kind of um, lone scholar, you know, yeah. sort of an isolated. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I thought I would try something different and kind of uh, take a, you know, take a leap into the wild. Um, and I went from there to industry, so I went to the telecommunications industry and um, Ericsson uh, Telephone Systems, uh, software engineering, um, and I had 10 very happy years there. Mostly, um, I think I, I, I stayed there quite some time because um, I could try all sorts of different things, so the mm-hmm. thing in having a big multi national organization is is many different jobs within that so I tried a number of different things and software development and research and standards and so on but um, after a while there 
I thought I felt drawn back to public service or the idea of sort of a societal good, you know, something within the civil or the public service. Um, so I was fortunate and I got a job in Science Foundation Ireland then, which is the, our national science funding agency. And um, that was a lot of fun. Um, I worked there for three years and it's great because there's a lot of information management there because you're managing all the yeah. grants and so on. But um, uh, I suppose my favourite bit was seeing all the amazing science and research that was going on across the country. Yeah. Um, Very advantage point actually for being able to see what, what sort of research was going on at a national level. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like um, uh, it's like going to the goodie shop or the sweet yeah. shop and seeing so a vast array of really yeah. exciting. How jealous would you get if you saw something that? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's it. So um, after watching everybody else do all the fun stuff, um, I thought, gosh, I'd love to go back to research again. Like It's such a great time. And, and research had changed a lot since, um, since I started. Um, different funding mechanisms and I suppose really, you know, the rise of the Internet and so on. It meant that collaboration and working in groups is now the norm mm -hmm. and it's not about the physical location, you know, the international collaborations and, and talking to people instantaneously across the world. Um, and that changed things. So, it, you know, the idea of working all on your own in a, in a bubble just isn't the reality, really. Mm -hmm. So I was excited about looking for something, but having been out of the research game for a few years, it's always hard to, to, to break back in again. But um, this wonderful job came up in the Royal Irish Academy, which was, um, at the time, it was the director of uh, National Audiovisual Repository, which turned out to be the Digital Repository of Ireland. And I remember reading the job spec, and it's saying, you know, you should be, um, you should know about uh, libraries and repositories and archives, and uh, social sciences and humanities, and uh, technology and digital, mm -hmm. and uh, and management and, and this kind of thing. And I was thinking, oh well, nobody can do all yeah, that. No one's going to have all those boxes ticked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I I'll throw my hat in, mm -hmm. and um, was um, really lucky to 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 get the job and have the opportunity to be there for something that was uh, starting from scratch which yeah. was great so the, you know it was uh, the the concept was there but building it from um, a green field was um, was absolutely fabulous i was really i think as i look back i was always interested in um, digital and data management information management in different ways so moving information around and um, being custodian for it but this was the first time i had um come into the cultural and the social science and humanities sector and um, that was such a like a huge learning curve you know so it was so so meant so much to learn there but um such an opportunity to um have the chance to I really love cultural and heritage things and to have the chance to you know come into that uh, sector was uh, was really once in a lifetime i think so um yeah so that that was i think um what led me to the national library because um building a repository from scratch as you know yourself is um no uh, no joke no easy task um and taking account of the materials that you're caring for in that um i suppose it's not librarianship and not all aspects of librarianship, but it is um, an important part of where libraries are now in managing the physical and the digital. Yeah. Um, you know, and it really is. I suppose I feel it's um, uh, it's going to increasingly be more and more important for the library sector. So it was a great. Uh, really wonderful community of friends and content so what more could you ask for um, and um, and from there to the National Library and that's has been such um, such a privilege like I I think I was saying to you when I started here and I could see um, WB8's library and the bookshelves on the wall I feel like um, I, I must whisper because nothing I can say can match these books but um, yeah so it's been an absolute whirlwind I'm here a year and a half it's been a whirlwind trying to um, pick up and learn and trying to um, I suppose um, 
look out and look in so mm. understand you know century long traditions of uh, collection care and collection growth and, and um, services in the library and then to look out as well and see who are our users um, how does how has the changing world and particularly the um, digital changes what does that mean for the National Library um, should we be collecting new materials should we be providing our services in different ways how can we keep our really core um, traditional values with you know really fundamental principles of librarianship and how can we challenge ourselves to um, just keep doing it and doing it more and doing it better that's yeah. not very eloquent but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah it's interesting just hearing you talk about the, the background that you came to it's, it's almost like you had the, kind of the perfect mix of skills by the time you came to the National Library for the convergence of different kind of backgrounds that were coming into um, the library and information profession because in the last 10 years or so it really has changed so much in the sense that it's gone from being very much about physical collections and service provision and really integrated in particularly digital digital media and um, digital techniques and digital preservation and then data management so you kind of were almost the, the Coming to coming to libraries at, right at the point where libraries really needed your kind of skill set. Um, yeah. So did you kind of see that when you came in, particularly to the, the DRI? Did you sort of see, oh, there's, there's something. There's something here. happening here that hasn't happened before. Yeah, I think. Well, you're very generous, Laura. I guess I have also also thought. Um, uh, I have this. Um, uh, like you're either fit for no job or there's a perfect job somewhere, and yeah. you'll find it when you don't. So when you move between sectors and um, and different types of organisations, I I have a huge belief in the value of that mm -hmm. but kind of each time you move you start again from scratch in some way so I see like a value to a very traditional or um, a unidirectional career path you know where someone mm -hmm. trains and they become an expert in that role and you know all the all the learnings in that role make them even better at that role and then this I, I I see a value for another type of person as well, who is, it's not an expert role, but it's um, a blend of the learnings from a number of different um, sectors or organisations. Um, because you're right, like uh, the world is changing and that's digital and globalisation coming together um, means that, you know, standing alone is no it isn't even possible anymore like it isn't yeah. desirable but it isn't possible either and bringing the learnings from different places together um i i, I hope that they they allow you to bring the best of different into one and that's you know that's that's the ideal i suppose whether you actually do that or not yeah. as i say you could be bringing the worst <laughs> the, the bad learnings or the good learnings but you, yeah. you have you to hope to to, yeah Yeah. So how did you find it then, kind of coming in with a different kind of perspective and bringing kind of a fresh vision? Um, yeah. Was that difficult, or was was were you coming in at a time where everyone was was looking for kind of the the, the new approach anyway? Yeah, it's interesting. I I guess I I think overall the library library sector, you know, does have a sense of. Um, uh, the world is changing and, and what do we do about that um, so I think in a, in a very broad sense there is um, a want to embrace new technologies and um, new services and new ways of delivering traditional services in some way like really in the end what we're all doing is collecting information and keeping it safe and sharing it because we all want people to have access to and be able to do something fabulous with the information so that doesn't change at all um, and really I suppose it's about not being um, driven by technology as if that were a goal in itself mm. but seeing it as a servant of or an enabler for the really fundamental goal which is sharing information sharing knowledge and, and sharing content and um, then in the yeah so 
I suppose when you start somewhere, um, that's the moment where you're most open to new ideas. You have no idea of what can't work because you know you just haven't uh, you haven't uh, you haven't tried. So you, you you I guess you travel optimistically, thinking anything is possible now. And then what you don't want to do is. Um, is uh, lose the grounding and the expertise and the knowledge um, that already exists. So you want to balance between. I always think this, and I, I, I always, I always watch someone new when they join an organisation as mm -hmm. well, because there's, there's a moment where um, you can see all the clear path in front of you, um, but you must be guided by um, all that brings you and the organization to that point i think you're foolish if you throw out learnings and knowledge and um, the expertise if you don't take account of that from all the people around you you're you know you're you're really heading you're, it'll be a very short journey yeah. um, but the best journey then is the marriage of not knowing what can't be done is really it, that doesn't last very long you know a year later you do know what can't be done but just um uh, having a sense of all the the possibilities and w what you would like to do and then marrying it with um understanding the expertise what has gone before what has worked what hasn't worked and um and i suppose a very fundamental um value set and uh like a mission, like really knowing what the organisation is supposed to do and bringing those pieces together. That all sounds very um, uh, waffly in some way, but I suppose if I think, so the collections here in the National Library, everything happens because of the collections. So mm -hmm. collecting since, uh, you know, 140 years, um, some amazing things there, a lot of thought, you know your collection development policy or the choices you make and what you put in the collection what's in and what's out and there is no library without the collections and then your possibilities are and when the collections are built over time like it's not like you can go back 140 years and say oh well maybe we should have collected this or we should have done something different and um, the treasures you have are because of the decisions someone made 140 years ago but your choices now are how do we what do we do with the collections now so that and that's on the service side so what is possible because of this so we've the beautiful reading room mm -hmm. um uh, such like a, a treasure for the building itself mm -hmm. and the, a thing that has a lot of emotional resonance for the people that use it you know anybody that's worked there that has a, a, a connection with the space um, but what about digital? So over the last year, we did a, a big program of digitizing the um, the 1916 uh, collections, with the idea that people will always want to come to the reading room and have an experience, and um, you know, an, an emotional or a I don't know, it can be a, a, a really spiritual experience of um, connecting with the physical object. But equally, um, where people can't travel, they can't come through the door, or they want to research before, um, you know, as preparation for the actual moment where they, um, they're, they're working with the manuscript itself, or simply to make connections. So what we might have in our collections is not actually what they're looking for. It's in the context of collections in their library or somewhere else in the world. And all those things um, are so much easier if we can provide online access to things. So I suppose I don't really fundamentally believe that online access will replace the physical experience of something, except in the born digital, where yeah. objects entirely exist only digitally. But I think the two things have huge strengths that complement each other. Mm -hmm. So being able to look at something instantaneously from the other side of the world, like that's just such, you know, that's a game changer. Like it's unbelievable. Like who could have guessed that 50 years ago? And, um, but then as long as we don't, as long as we can do both, I mm. suppose, is really the happy medium. And different people want different things. Well, the reality is, uh, as we kind of mature with developing um, digital collections, seems to be that, not that it takes away from the physical experience, but actually that it enhances it, um, that it, it raises profiles, it creates exposure for collections that were never known about before, that really only 
maybe people with specialist knowledge would have known about these collections or were they not online so often it's the, the two sort of complement each other or there's a sort of symbiotic thing between them where maybe it's the digital that leads someone in but then that brings them to the physical space so they're, they're constantly bouncing off each other rather than maybe 10 years or so ago when people might have lamented or is anyone going to go in and see an object in a library anymore if it's if it's available in a digital collection well yeah they are because they're going to see that this looks interesting i want to actually see it in person i want to see the, the ink on this piece of paper i want to see the scribbles in the corner a bit closer so exactly the, the panic was unnecessary if, if anything it all just enhances I think that's exactly right. Um, so, um, and I'd love to see um, a little more um, in-depth study of that. So, the the different, you know, the, largely anecdotal. I think at the moment, but a sense originally of um, digitization would lead to a reduction of the, the, yeah. the space, the physical space experience, and now a sense exactly as you say that it's actually the reverse, um, and that. Um, the digital access really serves to raise awareness of where things are around the world, but it doesn't take away people's um, absolute love of the, uh, the the tangible experience. Mm -hmm. I think um, so. Something uh, it, it an, it, it's a balance of uh, fear and bravery, and yeah. I think on the digital world, um, you know, you can't take that lightly because, of course, if we think of horror stories from social media and you know young people um publishing information or, or, or um their photos and things and, and regretting it afterwards and you 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 can't take it back so i don't think it's you know we have to be respectful of 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 braveness in the digital world because it's different than being brave when well when i was a child yeah, so being yeah, brave i was going to say when we were children <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So, so not taking braveness lightly. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, um, I suppose overall for libraries, if we aren't, if we if we don't be somewhat brave, mm -hmm. we're going to be left behind. That would be my big concern. That. Um, the quality of information. So, um, Google has become a verb. So people Google mm -hmm. information, um, uh, and uh, you know, fun. What does that mean, really? It means, you know, it speaks to an underlying belief um, in 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 people that there is. You will find the answer to your question mm -hmm. um, through your search box, and. Um, there's, there's no question that you won't find the information. There's no, I guess what I would like to see is more concern over the authenticity, the context, yeah. the quality of the information. And I suppose, you know, from a library perspective then, um, because of um, how um, catalogues and metadata work, you your concern is more about being able to find the information mm -hmm. but you have no concern about the quality of the information once it's found or you know these two axes are reversed in um, online and library yeah. and um, I, I guess probably there's a right ratio somewhere in the middle I don't know what that magic number is mm -hmm. but um, we, we need to meet more in the middle and that's so it's an act of caution for online access or more um, mature reflection and for libraries it's an act of increasing braveness I think and somehow um, yeah sort of a um, little bit of risk as well yeah. as well considered risk I suppose. I think it opens up um, more possibilities for something that libraries have always done which is the outreach and the education aspect of here in the National Library, you've over the last few years done a huge amount of outreach and kind of speaking more to the community and inviting um, response from library users, particularly I'm thinking of the, the Flickr collections and the, the lovely kind of personal approaches that people have, have had in interacting with those and in giving information and there's been that kind of playing off both in the collections that you have and then inviting you know, public Public discussion, inviting, inviting yeah. in comments and information and further detail. Exactly. So there's probably yeah. a continuation of that, maybe that will happen. 
Yeah, I think, uh, Laura, that's exactly it. That's a really good example. Um, so with the um, our photo collections and the National Photographic Archive, like the Rude Jewel in the Crown here, um, and um, it wouldn't be possible to um, have everything available online, catalogued, um, just because of this, you know, there's over five million photographs. Um, and then what I think we did right with Flickr is exactly as you say, so it's the marriage of the public and private memory or associations with any one of those objects. And I love to see people engaging and adding to the story of an object. Um, then the balance from librarianship, I suppose, is the the catalogue entry is as you know that's that that's the core, and then but then we have this space for the addition of private memories and commentary and context as well, and um, and the enrichment that comes through that. And the Flickr collections, um, we passed um, 50 million views uh, this uh, last week, I think. And um, I thought that really, you know, people love photos and they love um, both the chance to engage with it, to view it, to enjoy it, and um, how instantaneous it is. I suppose it's different than reading a book and then, you know, trying mm -hmm. to work through a manuscript and so on. So, um, yeah, I love that. I think it, the, the outreach is. So you could be a library and not do any outreach. And I know you do a lot of outreach as well. Why why do we do that? Why do we care? Yeah, I always yeah. wonder about that because you know, there's an element to librarians where you're constantly going, well, I'm doing this, but I need to be doing more of it. And you know, there's a constant sense of not, yeah. not ever allowing yourself to... Rest on your rest. laurels. You're constantly looking around. It. And it's strangely the people who, you know, you'll, you'll build up people who use your library and are very loyal, and yet it's, yeah, you're concerned about those people and you love having them, but it's always the people that you don't have that you're the most interested in. You're like, well, why are they not using it? And what am I doing wrong? And how do I get these people on board? And what, what do I need to do to lure them in? Yeah. So I don't know whether it's just kind of something about... I have wondered this, if it's a, um, a, a personality trait, if there's a connection between um, uh, uh, the librarian profession and uh, there, there is this characteristic. Um, it's, I, I, I think it's an absolute virtue, so it's a sense of service, isn't it, and caring, yeah. and um, there are things you'd associate with um, uh, teachers and, um, and maybe in the health profession as well, and I just, um, I think it's a real virtue and it is interesting because like the doing more lots of um, you know professions or sectors or careers are, do more mm -hmm. but sometimes it's about kind of um, you know personal advancement or you know advancement within the career mm -hmm. itself but the way I see it, and, and again coming into the library sector, I really see it as um, on the, the 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 service and the caring and the wanting to provide um, information, help, or an experience. You know that moment when someone's face lights up when they've mm -hmm. seen something um, in your connections that they they you know they didn't expect. And um, I just think it's um, you you can't you don't always appreciate it within the sector, but when you look to other sectors and it isn't there, um, it's it, it's really a huge contrast and a yeah, really and really you positive. You don't always notice it yourself until you look outside. Yeah, and I think part of it might be as well. We kind of like a bit of a challenge and kind of a shiny new toy. So if there's a new approach to trying to lure people in, we'll, we'll probably be the first on it. So we did you know quite happily jump on social media as a well this might be the way to That's get right. to those people who we don't have access to now yeah. so there's a bit of a thing of having to challenge yourself as well of not yeah. not sitting back and going well that's great now I know how to do everything so I'll just keep out, I'll keep on going now like this doing everything that I already know how to do for the next 30 years or whatever until I retire there's a constant thing of there is. Well, I could try this and you know, then I won't be bored because this is a shiny new toy. Maybe this will work for me. Yeah, it's um, and, uh, um, this huge push, um, um, self-motivated push uh, for um, uh, continuous um, professional development mm -hmm. and stuff. I, um, myself over, I've always wanted to learn more. Um, and then when you hang around with people who always want to learn more, you forget that not everybody does. Mm. But the I find 
this very concentrated in the library sector, the wanting new skills, new learnings, um, you know, wanting to do a new course and um, doing things in your spare time. You're crazy. We're all exhausted. We're all exhausted. Yeah, exactly. Because I think it's a really positive. It's very, um, it bodes well for the future because I think the rate of, the pace of change in the world around us is, seems to be accelerating. And, um, Somebody had asked me, you know, how do you think the skills um, evolution is going for librarians, like um, professionally trained librarians, and then you have this um, need for digital skills, and they may not be the same skills that are this increasingly overlap, but, you know, who will you hire in the future? Um, and I think the person you need to hire in the future is the person that's demonstrated that they want new skills and they're adaptable and flexible then with a marriage of I, I really value the traditional I say traditional is probably not the right word but I mean a thorough training in information management and, and the broad aspects of it yeah so in the National Library we would um, so we we, we, we hire um digital developers as well but I mean the majority of our staff are you know trained librarians and they are building their skill base and adding to their skill through the job through training and and that's I think um that's the future I think yeah yeah, yeah. I think as, I, as I've talked to more people doing this series it seems to be that there's much more scope now for almost kind of honing honing the role and honing what the profession means to you in your own way. Like there's, there's so many options for various different kind of directions of training and professional development and, and different ways that you can take what you already bring into librarianship, but you can really kind of almost shape it around, well, here are the things that I'm going to take, that, you know, here's the three or four things that I already have that I'm really good at, here are the things that I'm now kind of stepping in the direction of and I'm going to learn more about and there are two or three other things that, you know, in five years' time, I'm going to need to know more about if this is the direction I keep moving in, so I'm going to work towards knowing more about those. Yes. So everyone seems like they're almost creating their own, forging their own type of, of way through yeah. their own role. I think that's true. In um, in the digital repository of Ireland, um, I um, I think in the first year there, um, uh, I I wanted to advertise a job uh, needing a digital archivist, mm -hmm. and I thought, um, now what are the skill set? You know, in writing the job description, I was like, I look on, I'll Google it. Is what mm -hmm. I thought actually. <laughs> I go and see, um, you know, what other job descriptions for this role, and then you know, I'll piece it together of of um, what the best of of, of all I've seen but at, that was in 2011 I guess um, there were very few job descriptions you know there was nothing to copy and paste if, if, yeah. if I would and yet I, you know you, you know what that job is you know it's a it's somebody that's an archivist or a librarian and and you know putting a focus on their collecting and managing digital materials you, you know what yeah, that is you sort of know oh I'm going to know this person when they walk in the door I'm going to know the exact set of skills they need but I don't know how to put it on paper it doesn't exist as a job on paper yet. yeah exactly so it's not a mature job like a dentist mm -hmm. or something thing um, and then even over those four years I see that role advertised more and more you know across the world um, so I think you're exactly right I think the pro the profession is writing its own job descriptions now mm -hmm. and guiding itself into the future and that's very proactive and a positive thing I think but also say I, I think you, you're right about the engagement through technology and social media and so on that it's really been proactive on using technology to communicate and that in itself is a very simple idea mm -hmm. but um, it's something very um, it, it's really been adopted by um, by li library library people and I think that's a that's that's very positive as well because it's all I suppose everything is about access to information and that's uh, push or pull however we engage around that and um, the idea of being early adopter for technologies to share information probably it isn't surprising that libraries want to yeah. do that yeah so yeah. We're, we now have gotten really good at that and been really good about kind of demonstrating different um, kind of trans 
transferable skills and going in and saying, well, you might not know you need a librarian, but actually you do. You do. And here's why, and here's how you know the skills we have kind of line up with what it is you need. Yeah. Do you think, particularly whenever you moved into the, the library area, did you find that people from outside of an understanding of, of what libraries have now evolved into still had that same sense of like, oh, that's a library, sure, it's just books. What, what, what would you need? Yeah. any kind of te- technological skills for that or you're just sitting around reading books all day or yeah. the, the biggest challenge you could have is dealing with dust or yeah I think I do think that's it that's a fair point um Yes, the broad public perception of libraries is interesting. So this is two things. People feel an emotional connection with libraries and they have a connection from their youth and a, a sense of the value of libraries and the connection with civic society and public good. And I think that's very deeply entrenched. But I don't think people make the connection as easily with um with the um with the digital side and um you know yeah with i suppose i would worry that um the general public if there is such a person mm-hmm. um views the internet and google as um distinct from what libraries do, that they're not the same thing. Yeah. And that's a gap, I think. So it's great that you already have the hearts and mind of people. And you can see this mm-hmm. with, um, with, if I think of the UK, say, with the library closures and, yeah. you know, um, public figures and um, Stephen Fry and people, mm-hmm. you know, um, getting involved in that and speaking for libraries and then, you know, the public getting behind that. Not enough, uh, obviously. Yeah, but it's, well, it's often that it's they don't know about it or they don't say anything until it's quite late in the process. Yes. Which is done. Yeah, exactly. But but still I suppose I'm sure there's a lot of causes that envy that connection mm. um, uh, through, you know, a kind of a, a, an emotional childhood connection that maybe you, you lost then as you, you travelled into adulthood. Mm. But um, it would be good to be able to have such a strong connection on the um, the forward-looking side as well, so the on the um, technology and what is enabled. If I think here, so we over last year... Um, well, I mean, for quite a few years, the National Library has been um, collecting and archiving Irish websites. Yeah. Yeah. And I I thought, you know, we really need to talk about this more because mm-hmm. people do talk about, you know, the internet and that's gone and um, we think of um, famous figures at the moment and their social media um, approach and, you know, deleting tweets and saying mm-hmm. that didn't happen. And the internet public archive are doing a great job. Are doing a great job. Trump's tweets and making sure that everything is backed up. In yeah. case, in ca- just in case that the mild possibility that something might be ma- deleted or disappear in the next couple of weeks, they've got it all backed up and covered. So yeah, that's really interesting. Yes, it, yes, exactly. So, so why would you archive this transient, ephemeral, um, digital material? So accountability is definitely one, and um, that isn't always the reason people um, feel good about. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's important, um, and then the other is as a kind of a record of our society and our culture. So we, of course, you expect um, the National Library to be collecting the papers of our Irish writers and our poets and our um, political figures and so on. But um, uh, like you don't question that. Yeah. So why would we not be doing it on the digital side as well? Because you know, uh, twenty years in the future, we won't be collecting letters. And anymore sure we won't um, and I don't want to be printing out an archive of emails that's for sure so um but it's interesting because say in so we are web archiving but how do we get people interested in it yeah. so that's I think the conversation that I wanted to have was um uh, we know why we're doing it, we know it's important, but how can we get people um, engaged with it? So over the course, um, two things I think made a difference last year, and one was um, the amazing uh, centenary of 1916, mm-hmm. and um, having the opportunity to connect with people 
um, in a sense of their ownership of their own history mm. um, and I think that was hugely positive like across the board there was you know so much good came from that but um, but one of the things was people um, created so many beautiful um, new artifacts in 2016 and so much of it was digital so um, some really fabulous websites like websites you'd be so proud of and you'd be you would feel an emotional pull immediately if you thought that that could be lost within the year um, and then um, all the um, all the um, entirely so the websites are born digital the digitized material um, across the country across the world so it really it made sense to make an argument about why it's important to collect this material when people could see the value of it so yeah people don't always see the value in a tweet um, uh, certainly if you want to delete it you mightn't see the value in it mm. but in, you know it maybe doesn't have a sense of history connected to it but 2016 did so that was that was a big part of the argument and then the other thing in trying to get people interested in it we ran um, a public call in um, November, December yeah. to ask people to vote for their favourite website now actually you know it was what website best represents uh, 1916 or best represents Ireland in 2016 which are kind of complicated questions yeah. you know what, what does Ireland look like in 2016 is a much bigger question than we could answer through um, through, um, through a competition but it was great because it got people talking about it, it got people thinking about it and um, uh, then for the websites that were nominated we were able to archive them we know they're safe but um, yeah, I suppose it just had, it was a, a way to have a conversation that we should be having every day yeah. and um, and just to to respect or give give an honour to what it means to create digital artefacts. Like, um, you know yourself, it's no mean, uh, no small job mm -hmm. to create a piece of um, publication, art, literature, and that's really what we're talking about with websites nowadays, like the... The, the curation and the the, the cr creativity that goes into them, we absolutely should be saving them. Mm. Yeah, I think you um, in your TED talk um, in December. Um, it's very good. If anyone hasn't seen Sandy's TED talk, just pause this now and go out and watch <laughs> the TED talk and then come back. Um, but you kind of brought home the emotional connection and how I think we probably will hook the, the public in. Is why this is an important thing. You brought really kind of brought that back home by the reminder that you know it's it's only when you remind people of how would you feel if this was gone, if someone wiped all your phone. I mean, you often see those stories in in the press about you know, someone had their phone stolen, and it wasn't the phone that upset them. That wasn't the, the distressing thing about it. It was oh, this, this was the only picture I had of someone who's no longer alive, or it's the only picture that I have of a certain thing, or even that there is something. In the phone, there's an image in there that that's the thing that had the most value to them. That it wasn't the object itself; it was the the item that they had the picture of. And that's, yeah. I think, where we where we'll get people on. Yes why they need to preserve their, their digital material. Yeah, and I and I, I suppose I hope that not too late. The, yeah. You, you know, in, in trying to, to make this argument, and uh, thank you for the TED Talk comment, um, I suppose I, I was trying to parallel it with things that we all do and we know is important on mm -hmm. some very fundamental, um, you know, non-logical sense, and that's, you know, your mum keeping your photo album and, mm -hmm. and things like that. that you know it's like a job in your family somebody does that yeah. um, and it's one of those things that quite often you know the, what's the thing you would reach for if the house was burning down yeah. people yeah. always say oh well, I'd grab the photo albums if the house was going up in flames I'd go and get the photo album yeah. but you don't think that about all the stuff that's on your phone or things that are on your laptop or you know would you run up and try and Get, get your hard drive. Yeah, exactly. And I, I wonder. There is something cold about technology, I suppose. Um, but um, yeah, it's just uh, to build the connection or the responsibility that people feel. So. Um, you know, the, one of the other things is people have a sense if they put it, um, I published it online or I put it on a website, which is a very good thing to do. That is mm -hmm. definitely, um, you know, a step towards keeping it safe. But um, websites, the average within a year, 
um, 50% of um, online content is gone, those websites are gone, the link is broken, 404, all this stuff. Um, so I suppose it's people don't feel the same responsibility for the digital artefact that they do for the physical artefact and um, uh, it's just to try to swing that around and um, and, and um, I, what I'd like to do is make the connection in a positive way rather than in a scary way. But yeah. I think what could happen if you lost this. But um, but it is it's it's much harder. People don't connect quite as quickly. So I think digital images and and video um, is is probably the most compelling of that. You know, so we. I guess it's a balance between um, what's fabulous about digital is the way people can, you know, you're mailing your aunt in Australia mm -hmm. the photo of the birthday party um, that she couldn't be there for. And that's, you know, that's mm -hmm. entirely enabled by digital. It's fabulous. And then it's just to go the next step beyond access and think about, you know, your aunt's uh, grandchildren in Australia and they'll want to remember that when they come back to Ireland um, but will that photo still be there you know or it, it, it may be there as ones and zeros but will anybody actually be able to view it and look at it I think we'll see we're seeing at the moment I suppose the um, the, the obsolescence the um, really losing some of the older formats on um, uh, um, on audiovisual, I think is one of the ones that we view as being most at risk at the moment, and um, maybe it is, you know, in facing the the negative side or the potential catastrophe, that we'll be more proactive about the future. But we're doing it here. It's a big on the list of um, things yeah. to do for the national memory. Next year we'll be working on, um, or this year, gosh, I forgot, it's um, sometimes I'm still saying 2016. Um, we'll be working on um, piloting the active collection of um, entirely born digital material, broad range of it, so more than websites really looking at what does it mean to, um, you know, to to collect, uh, to take a new collection as we take um, historical and um, paper-based um, collections or archives, what does it mean to do that, you know, in 10 years time, but to do it now, to do it when it's entirely digital, mm -hmm. so that'll be that'll keep us busy next year now yeah. <laughs> um, So that's a lot of responsibility in, in terms of as you turned it in your talking of being the, the national memory keep, memory keepers and, mm -hmm. um, so where do you see where do you see that going in the next 10 years? And where do you see the, the next step being? Yeah. Kind of working with the, the born digital material? Yes, I think so. So it's um, it never um, I suppose it's a collecting institute, and then the National Library collecting the story of Ireland, the memory of Ireland for the country. Um, it never stops. That's mm -hmm. the thing. I, I suppose um, like the collections are vast now, and um, if we stopped, if we never collected another thing, we would have a lifetime of work in front of us. Yeah. Um, but being a collecting institute and actively collecting. Um, and trying to marry that um, the sense of what you should collect. So what is you know what what really is a part of the national memory, and then falls into the the, the remit, the responsibility, and 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 the privilege of the library to collect, um, and then um, marrying that to collection care. So that's the I mean the the moment we collect something, and whether that's a an acquisition or, or um, a, a, you know. Um, a donation, um, a gift, uh, how that comes to us, um, it then becomes a lifetime of care for that object. Mm -hmm. And um, and I suppose that really is something that the, the scale of a library is something to reflect on, I suppose, mm -hmm. because so, so much is transient. You know, people talk about jobs that didn't exist in the past and, you know, entirely new companies and sectors and, um, but a library is a really long-term endeavour and looking back that means long tradition, a lot of expertise and um, um, a lot of learning over a long time but looking forward it's, it's, um, it's a responsibility that grows each year and it doesn't, it never gets less um, and um, it's I suppose making sure that we are well placed 
to maintain and um, and deliver that responsibility into the future. So it's your children's 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 generation, and what what will that mean then? So we're um, very excited and very nervous, um, looking at. Um, uh, developing our main building on Kildare Street, so yeah. beautiful building, um, Victorian building, um, and um, the, the majority of our, our, our book stacks, our book collections are on site in our building, yeah. and really taking every single book out of the building, um, making a fabulous new storage collections so they'll be safe for the next 100 years, mm-hmm. and then bringing it all back. And it's very easy to say that. I just said it. Yeah, but I, I know that it's huge amount of work behind that one sentence. Exactly. And, um, and so that's, that's definitely going to occupy us for the next three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want us to just do that as a goal in itself, but really to take every opportunity that comes with it and to think about are we well positioned then um, to keep the collection safe, but to provide all the services that those collections enable, to think about our readers, our visitors, and what does the user of the future look like, and what do they want, and see can we get absolutely the most we can out of that um, that development so that we're well placed for the future for the collections, that's where this all starts, it's all about the collections, but so that we can deliver these different services and not even knowing what different services we want in 10 years time and as our users change as well so um lots of people tell the story of the you know their their child going up to um the a laptop or um a visual display and trying to swipe the screen because our our physical behavior has changed mm. because of um ipads and and smartphones and so on um and what's the long term repercussion of that the services that we can't even imagine that people will want and expect from us um within the decade so how to future proof that yeah yeah it's all very exciting yeah. um so yeah it looks like for another for the next 140 years you're kind of look, looking out for yeah kind of where we're going in terms of our information needs yeah, I hope so. Thanks very much for, for talking to me and uh, for giving an insight into the exciting stuff that's going on here in NLI. So it's like you've got a big year ahead of you. Thanks, Lara. <laughs> Very big thank you to Sandra for being uh, a great guest and just generally all around very sound. Uh, the National Library is definitely in good hands there. Um, and if you haven't listened to Sandra's TED Talk, do go and do that now. But before you do that, just a reminder, the time is running out to book your place at ASL 2017. You can book through our website, which is www.aslibraries.com. And just a quick shout out to all of our ASL 2017 sponsors. They are, um, our platinum sponsor is IEEE. The gold sponsors are Circe Dynex, Dawson Books, Taylor & Francis, VisionNet, LM Information Delivery, and our silver sponsors are Dublin Business School and Interleaf Technology. So you can uh, come along and chat to all of them on the 16th and 17th at ASL 2017. But before you do that, go and book your ticket and do it quick because the places are filling up fast. Librarians Allowed is produced by Laura Rooney-Ferris. Music and editing are by Michael Ferris. (laughs) 